Makeover God edition, we are continuing again. Some of you are probably thinking, is this ever going to get over with? No. <laughs> it's not ever going to get over with. Because uh, the work that God's doing in my life isn't finished until they etch my tombstone with whatever fancy saying it might say. I don't know, it might say, here lies Bob or something like that. I don't know. But that's when God's done with me in this body and this life. Amen? And uh, so this is going to continue on in our lives. We're ready for day five. If you turn to Genesis chapter one, we'll get there in just a second. But uh, just as a reminder, he finds us out of order, full of darkness, void of life. Uh, he shines revelation light into our heart. Salvation experience changes the atmosphere of who we are. And the Holy Spirit does a, a work in us that will sustain life. He brings order to our lives and begins to develop a structure that would sustain life through the Word of God, through prayer, through uh, church attendance, all of these things. And then last week we talked about how He prepares us for seasons of growth. And everybody's in different seasons. Some of us are in spring and some are in summer, some are in fall, and some are in wintertime. And we're all in different places. There's one thing I know for sure, and that is that God never stops with us. He's always moving us forward. He's always got a plan. He's always got a purpose. He's not interested in us being stuck in the same place all the time. God wants to take us and make us like Him. Amen? So that's what the process is that we're seeing. Everybody in this room represents different time frames in your life. Some of you may just be having fresh revelation for the first time, maybe responding to Christ. Some of you, you know, maybe just now getting your lives structured and so on and so forth, where you're actually having devotions for the first time in your life. And you may be in different seasons. I don't know. But I know this much is that God is moving us forward, always moving us forward from glory to glory. That's his purpose. That's his desire. And that's how he's designed everything for all of this to work out the way it has. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 20. And God said... It's kind of repetitious, isn't it? Let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and everything living and moving, uh, everything with, with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Now this day could be called the day of addition because God added things that weren't already there. God took the water, the deepest depths of the water and the highest heights of the atmosphere that we talked about, and he began to put life in them. He put in the water, in the very deepest depths that you and I could ever imagine, in the darkness where it's so deep that it's dark, where the Titanic sits now, it's so deep that it's dark, he knew that it was going to take thousands of years before man would ever even get that deep, and he still prepared and planned water creatures and fish that swim that deep. And he did it very extravagantly. I, you know, it, it's kind of exciting because this is a week of addition. Now, we talked uh, a while back about, about how the land produced the vegetation that God had intended it to do when he got things in order and structure. But now, this is, this is fun for God. And if you don't think he had fun, look at some of the fish in the sea. God, our God is a creative God. Our God is, is, I guess you could use the term artistic, I don't know, but somebody that's artistic has gotten that quality from God. God put together the squid and the man of war. And he put together all the, the, the angler fish, like on Nemo, that's got the little light that hangs out there. And you know, God put all of that stuff together. He designed it, he made it. Everybody say with me, from the deepest depths, the deepest depths. to the highest heights. 
He had birds. He had fish. The birds of the air flying through the atmosphere. The atmosphere is affected. The deepest depths are affected. Everything that was growing on the land had birds now perched in it. And there were noises and there were callers and things that weren't there before. It was added to. It now was different than it had been. It's a step forward and it was full of life. God was adding to His creation. He wasn't finished with just the beauty that was there. He wanted to add beauty to it. And you say, Pastor Bob, how can you say birds are beautiful? Have we seen some weird birds in our life? <laughs> uh, if, around here, we don't have a whole lot of them unless you're, you're Skinner, our neighbor. He has peacocks. Um, there's some peacocks out there. There's, there's also some other things. I, we watched some kind of an animal show or whatever, and it had this bird. I don't know, it was about this big of a bird. It was somewhere in the... the, the, the uh, rainforest and it would when it was trying to attract its mate it would puff out its feathers to this great big flat circle its feathers would all come up and it looked kind of like a happy face on it and it start doing this <laughs> and it would start clicking click 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 you know and Alyssa she was smaller and she's sitting there eating her food watching that so I looked at April and I started going click 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 The other thing, Alyssa, that same video we were watching, I know I'm going to waste my time, but this is still too funny. We were watching that same video, and, and Alyssa was eating her supper, and there was a part where all these, these like, uh, I think they were hyenas, I don't know, they were eating on a dead carcass of some animal, and I looked down, and my daughter's eating her supper, watching it, she said, hey, Dad, what are they eating? <laughs> it was the greatest moment ever. I loved it. But anyway, God made... God made the beautiful birds, He made the ugly ones, He made the weird fish, and, and say, Pastor Bob Fisher, you know, it's their fish. Listen, I, I, I can go to the pier in Florida and cast off and pull something up out of the coral reef, as I said before, that you cannot catch in the ponds of Indiana. You pull it up and you just kind of look at it and throw it back because it's weird. We know that God made all of it and He applied it, and, and some of them are beautiful, they're colorful, they're interesting, and it's intermingled with the environment. God does this, and, and, and we're blessed by it, and we enjoy it. And people say, Pastor Bob, you're crazy. How can, how can you say it? Listen, nobody tunes in to watch grass grow, but all the men in the house tune in to Shark Week, and you know it. <laughs> it's a cool addition. God made him, and even though he knew that all of it we wouldn't understand for a long period of time, he planted it there for us to find. God added it from the deepest depths to the highest heights. And you say, what does this have to do with me? What it has to do with us is that God wants to add some things into our lives. There are natural things that are there. There are things that we talked about that when God structures our lives, the natural giftings and abilities he's placed in us will spring forth. They will glorify him. They'll bear fruit. But now God says, you know, you cannot be sustained by your own abilities. I'll give, you, I'll just give you some examples. There are preachers all over America this morning, right now, getting up in a pulpit that haven't prayed, haven't read their Bible, and are depending completely upon their charismatic personality, their abilities to speak in public for the presentation of the gospel. There are people leading worship that have been trained in schools and, and they get up behind a piano and they start playing or they get behind a guitar and start playing and singing or whatever it may be and they do it completely based upon their talent and it's not propelled and not powered by the Holy Spirit. There comes a point, folks, where the things that we have learned that have equipped us for our careers and our jobs is not enough. God wants to put His Spirit in us and He wants to develop us in such a way that will move us beyond our natural abilities. You don't believe me? We'll talk about Joseph for a second. Remember Joseph? Everybody remember Joseph? 
Joseph, coat of many collars, brothers hate him, so they sold him into slavery. And slavery goes in there and they take him and they go in. He ends up at Potiphar's house and he runs from his wife and all this stuff, crazy stuff, goes to jail, everything like that. Remember that guy? Listen, a lot of giftings that he had. He was a great kid. Obviously, his father loved him. A lot of things that were planted in him by God. But God had to do a deeper work in him, didn't he? Had many seasons to go through, many things to go through. But listen, it wasn't, it wasn't Joseph that interpreted the dreams. It was God. Right? It wasn't Joseph that had the deep wisdom alone by himself to, to know what to do to prepare for the famine that was coming, that was spoken. It was given to him by God. Now, there are limitations that we have in our natural ability, folks. And God wants to add to us. He wants to give to us. He wants to place some individuals in our lives that are very colorful. He wants to place individuals in our lives that are going to take us to the deepest depths and to the highest heights and affect the atmosphere with new life. We have a testimony we're going to share real quick. Good morning. My name is Carol Ware, and those of you who've been coming to the church know I sit here uh, up on about the fourth row uh, with my sister Karen. I was born and raised in Covington. At the age of 15, I was saved in the Assembly of God Church, the old sanctuary, which is now our fellowship hall, in a revival meeting. Uh, Brother Noah Beadle was the pastor at the time, and within a year of my getting saved, Brother Allen came. And so for the next uh, years that I was here, while I was finishing high school, uh, Brother Allen was the pastor. And I, I loved God with all of my heart. I really did. This church was my home. It was my family. The Holy Cross family took me under their wing and became my spiritual family. I've been forever grateful for that. And when I come, have come back through the years while I was gone, having them be in this church with some of that firm foundation of people that God placed in my life, the in addition to the Holy Spirit's infilling and the background of salvation and the Word of God, the people that were in this church that took a hold of this little 15-year-old young person and my sister Kay and nurtured us and loved us and, and fellowshiped with us became the stabilizing force in our lives. But when uh, I graduated, there was no money to go to college. I wanted to be a teacher. And so I joined the Navy, thinking that if I gave time to the Navy, there was a program they would educate me. And that's the way I would get my education. Unfortunately, uh, while I was in the service for the three years, when I went to Texas uh, in my job, uh, I, I went to a church, uh, the Assembly of God, and uh, the first year I was in Memphis going to school, they sent a bus and picked us up, so I was in church all the time there. But when I got to Corpus Christi, the church was a, about three bus changes on base and off base and transferring to get to the church, and it took me a couple of hours to do it. And I went several times and made that effort. And unfortunately, and to the grief of the Holy Spirit, no one in that church reached out, took a hold of me, uh, you know, I was alone. I never met another born-again Christian like myself my entire three years in the military. And so, uh, you know, I was a prodigal daughter, but I didn't take my inheritance. I just found myself in a wilderness and starved. And when you're out there with the pigs, pretty soon you hang out with them. Pretty soon you begin to talk like them. 
you begin to act like them and after a period of time you can't tell you from the pigs <laughs> and you're eating pig food. Now I never became a horrible person, I was still a, a wonderful person, but my personal relationship with Christ uh, just, uh, it, it, it died and uh, I could tell you the time, the moment it took place and how alone I felt and what I said before sitting before a cross was, Lord, where have you gone? And the bottom line was he hadn't gone anywhere. I had just not, I didn't have the undergirding I needed. And you need the body of Christ. Young people in this front row, I sat here, I was part of this youth group, Christ Ambassadors, with Janice Wise back there, and Jerry Phelps, and, and uh, uh, Jake, Holy Cross, and the whole Holy Cross family. And I loved God with all of my heart. And I, I actually was gifted with the, the message in tongues. You know that God sometimes uses me in uh, message interpretation of tongues and the word of prophecy. That gift came when I was 16 years old in this church. But that didn't stabilize me enough to be on my own out in the world. And so for many years, uh, I married a non-Christian, actually in this church, and then um, I just became a part of the American dream, you know, we were out there trying to build a home and family, which we did. The crisis came when my husband left me after 10 years of marriage for another woman, and I found myself out in the world alone, and I tried to come back to church. But the enemy had put, I came back to church in Montana, and nothing happened. Uh, I went to the altar, I prayed, and it was as if the windows of heaven were closed to me. And then the enemy took a scripture. You know, the, the enemy, our, our enemy can use the scripture to put us into bondage and speak lies into our lives. And I was reading in Hebrews chapter 6, and I've heard other Christians say the same thing, that the enemy used this scripture to tell them a lie that God could never accept them back again. It's in Hebrews 6, and it says, For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who've tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and who then turn away from God. It's impossible to bring such people back to repentance by rejecting the Son of God. They themselves are nailing him to a cross once again and holding him up to public shame. And that's what I thought I had done. So for 10 years, I was away from the Lord and thought that I had committed the unpardonable sin. But you know, it's such a lie. 10 years later, I went back to church with my children out in Washington, and I walked into that large church sitting up in the balcony, and there was an evangelist from uh, Scotland, Campbell McAlpine. And guess what his text was that day? It was this scripture. And I was sitting up there. I don't really remember what he was preaching, but the Holy Spirit just whispered in my ear, and he said, Carol, you never did that. That's not what happened to you. And you can't renew yourself to repentance, but I can renew you to repentance. <laughs> You've come, and you're hungry. And the Lord just rebirthed me back into the relationship, and that was in 1975. And I've been walking with him closely because I got serious. I went home from that meeting. I got on my knees with my Bible and I said, Lord, if this is all true and this is for me, I don't care what you have to do to me. I don't ever want to be vulnerable enough to lose my relationship with you again. 
And so he took me to the other part of the scripture because if you stop there, the enemy has you. But if you read the next verse, it says, uh, dear friends, even though we're talking about this way, we really don't believe it applies to you. We are confident that you are meant for better things that come with salvation. For God's not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you've shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. <laughs> he hadn't thrown me away. And he took that scripture, stuffed it down the devil's throat and said, how dare you use my word to put my daughter into bondage and make her feel that she was unacceptable. And so young people, when you go off, and I see so many, I see you like I saw myself and Kay back in those days. And if you go off to college or you go somewhere else, I would say to you, stay in fellowship. No matter what you have to do, find a church. Find a church where somebody does reach out to you. Go and, and reach out to other people. Find a body. You will need, in addition, you can't stand alone. You have to have the body of believers. That's how the Holy Spirit works in your life. That's how he brings you and keeps you strong. So go to church, keep reading your Bible, keep praying. And if, the, if you do fall, and many of you probably will have a season, it's not unusual for young people to leave church where God's had their, his hand on them all their lives and get out into the world and get surrounded and get off track for a while. But as long as you have any desire at all in your heart to be right with God, he will be there waiting for you. And he will bring you to repentance, a new repentance. As long as you're serious with him, he did speak to me later and said, Carol, I said, Lord, why didn't you do this when I first came to you? When I came back, he said, Carol, you weren't ready. You wanted me to heal you, get you back on track, take away all that pain, but you were not ready to give me full lordship of your life. The timing was wrong. But uh, stay faithful. Surround yourself with friends and people. Uh, this church, you're totally surrounded. You're in, a, you're in a safe place here. But you're going to go out into the world, and you're not going to be in safe places all the time. And so keep yourself in the body. Keep yourself in fellowship. Surround yourself with wise counselors, and God will keep you in his care. I would say that to you and leave it with one last word that God gave to me, and that's Hebrews 13, 7, that is to remember those who taught you the word of God and considering the outcome, the results of their behavior and their choices and their conduct, imitate their faith. Okay? Don't imitate them. It's okay to put an example in front of you and say, I want to grow up to be like this, I want to be this. But always remember that God wants you to be the individual he's created you to be. And it's okay to have other examples and imitate their faith. But don't particularly imitate them. God's going to make you something different. God bless you. Thank you for this time to share my life and my testimony with you. And I hope to be here until the Lord takes us all home. Thank you. We love and appreciate Carol, and uh, glad that God brought her back here to us, and, and uh, well, her whole family. We love, love all them girls, even, even that wild one that's not here. She's out running around somewhere. <laughs> Kay, Kay and Mike, precious, and, and we just, we love the family, and, 
And church, I'm sure you heard in several places the importance of not only uh, having the revelation light of salvation and being filled with the Spirit and, and how it comes into part and play with even people in our lives and how important that is that we have. And this morning, I, just for the next few minutes, try to get through all of this. But the reality of it is, is, is that I'm going to talk about four individuals that God wants to add into our lives. Four individuals that are vital that we have in our lives. All of them are colorful. All of them are different. But we we have to rely on all of them. And the first one is is the Holy Spirit. Uh, God has placed the Holy Spirit in us at salvation. Has done a work in us and and all these things. And again, as I said, there was the day of structure and the day where the uh, the vegetation grew. The gifts within us are important. Uh, our personal uh, abilities and talents are important and need to be used for God, but He wants to do greater things through us. And on this fifth day, that's what we saw. Something that would take us to deeper depths. Something that would go to higher heights. And that is what God wants to do. If you turn to Acts uh, verse one, uh, chapter 1 with me, we'll get there in just a minute. Matthew 3.11 says this from John who was baptizing, he said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Water baptism is a symbol, church, of of what the Holy Spirit actually came and did. It's a symbol of Christ's uh, death, burial, resurrection, and it's also a symbol of what the work of the Spirit of God does in us. He, in, in through the Spirit of God, we can identify and understand that death, burial, and resurrection. We are a new creation. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Amen? The old is gone and the new has come. That's the working of the Holy Spirit in us. But what people want to do is that they understand and accept that ordinance of water baptism, and then they stop there. They understand that it means I'm a new creation that I'm saved, and then we stop there following that water baptism. But John says, listen, there's one coming that's greater than I. I only baptize you with water. This is a baptism of repentance, folks. It's important. We've got to do it. But he's saying, look, there's one coming that's going to baptize you with fire. And everybody wants to accept the water baptism. You start talking about the Holy Spirit and baptism of the Holy Spirit, people get... Don't talk about that, Pastor. We're Pentecostal. I know, but you can't talk about that. Listen... The reason people are nervous and afraid is because, number one, they don't know. Number two, because they have only seen projected before them the things that the world wants to see, and that's the, the, the fruits and they, uh, flakes and nuts, the, the granola churches. The people, the people where, they, where they spit and spew and scream. and Listen, that, that people respond to the Holy Spirit, okay? Some of, some of that stuff is a fleshly reaction to the Holy Spirit. And people have called it a manifestation. Not all of it's a manifestation, folks. So what people are afraid of is the fact that they don't know what the Word of God says. All they know is what they can see when they go on YouTube and search. Seriously. All they know is what they've maybe seen if somebody was in their flesh on television one time doing something. So we have to understand that what Jesus did, what Jesus brought to us was even greater than what John was doing. He says, John, and Jesus makes this reference in Luke 12, 49, I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were here already kindled, but I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. You say, how is Jesus saying He has a baptism to undergo? If that part of the Scripture, He's already been baptized. Well, He's making reference to the fact that He was going to be dead, buried, and resurrected. He said, i got to do this first before the fire can come. <laughs> 
How I wish it was kindled. How I wish it was ready right now. Jesus even told the disciples, he said, I've got to go away. It's good for you. It's beneficial for you if I go away. For if I don't go away, the counselor can't come. He said, this is the whole purpose of everything I'm doing. The purpose and the goal of what I'm doing and what I'm saying for you is that when I go away, the counselor is going to come. The Holy Spirit, this is what I purpose. This is what I designed. This is what is supposed to sustain you. Powerful. And see people, what they're afraid of it. Oh, that's weird, that's weird, that's kooky, that's, that's strange, that's not, that's not right. But it's the design and plan and will of God to move us forward. You say, well, Pastor Bob, I thought you said the Holy Spirit came and did a work in us at salvation. That's true. He did. Remember when Jesus came to the disciples after he's resurrected and he comes in, he breathes on them and he says, receive you now the Holy Spirit. That was a symbol of salvation. Us, the Holy Spirit coming to live within us. But folks, after our atmosphere has been changed, God wants to make some additions. He wants to do more. He wants to move us forward. He wants to affect us. He wants to take us places where we haven't been. He wants to take us to deeper depths and to higher heights. And for that reason, in Acts 1 verse 5, Jesus makes a reference to this. He says, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. It was never God's will for mankind to be taught and discipled some kind of an educated religion that these men would have to sustain and walk through the rest of their lives. God wanted to implant His Holy Spirit inside of them and enable them to do the things that He has done. Amen? Am I at First Assembly of God Church in Covington, Indiana? God wants to move us forward and to do. He's never intended us to live by our own giftings and our own talents. They're limited apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, here we see in verse 1, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Addition, folks. God did a work in that room with those men, with those that were in that room, and they were filled with the presence of God. There was a change that took place. They weren't the same. They were saved before that. They were clean. Jesus even declared Peter clean when he was washing their feet. They were clean. They were saved. But after that day, this day, after the move of the Holy Spirit, everything that Jesus talked about all through the book of John, which we've been in on Wednesday nights for three and a half years, (laughs) a year and a half, All the times, over and over and over, I'm sending the counselor, and if I don't go away, he can't come. There's a plan God's got to follow, and this is how it's going to take place. The day came, an addition took place, and these men no longer were fearful. These men now, when they were looked at, these uneducated men, they say, how do these people know what they know? And they take notice and say, well, they had been with Jesus. Not only had they been with Jesus, but now His Spirit dwells inside of them, reminding them of everything He has said according to the Scripture, and even telling them of things that are to come. Wisdom that surpassed man's knowledge now was inside of them, and Peter stood up instead of running like he had before from a little girl around a fire. He stands up and he says, This day, what you're seeing is what the prophet Joel spoke about. 
And he began to explain to them and to explain what Jesus had done and who Jesus was and began to make clarity. And people said, you know what? I want some of this. And 3,000 came into the kingdom that day. What is the formula to that? People that know Christ. People that are saved. People that are filled with the addition of the Holy Spirit and the works that God does through their life. And it affects everybody that's around them. That's the purpose of God. It, the tendency for, for churches and church people is this, is to just receive from God and then sit dormant and not do anything with it, and that was never God's will. 1 Corinthians 12 says this. It says, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. Let's just stop there for just a second. Paul says to the Corinthian church who had had some gifts and the usage and the things, some things had been out of order. He says, now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. Listen, God does not want us to be ignorant about the use of the gifts. The early church was Pentecostal. It was full of the Spirit. There were signs and wonders. There were workings of miracles in people's lives. The spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant. God doesn't want us to be ignorant of them. He doesn't want us to stay uninformed or without understanding or to be afraid of or not to seek. This is something that God wants us to know. Look at verse 2. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Stop there for a second. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the gifts. Why? Why do we not need to not be ignorant of the gifts? Because the tendency of mankind is to pray to a tree. The tendency of mankind is to depend upon drawing energy from the earth. The tendency of mankind is to do like they did in their day and carve out an altar and cut themselves and bleed on the altar or fornicate in front of the, the image on the altar or, or defecate in front of the image on the altar, exposing their nakedness in front of the image on the altar. This is how they used to worship idols. And they were turned to this dumb idol, this idol that didn't speak. It was a piece of wood. And they would do all these things and they would have this form of religion. And that was good enough for them. God said, I don't want you to be ignorant of the spiritual gifts. I don't want you to be ignorant of that. Because remember when you were a pagan and you were drawn away to dumb idols and mute idols? You say, why do you say that? Because our God is not mute. He's not mute. He's, he's living. He's active. His Word comes to life through His Holy Spirit. When He speaks to us, I'm reading the Word, and the Holy Spirit will direct me. He'll correct me. He'll rebuke me. He'll encourage me. He'll do all the things that He does as I'm reading the Word of God. He's alive in me, and He's moving in me. It's not, it's not some kind of weird thing like Hollywood produces. Okay? My head doesn't spin around, and I don't bend backwards and scream and spit pea soup when I walk all over the floor. That's called possession. Okay? The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. And when you invite Him into your life, when you invite Him in, He comes in and He begins to rearrange your thinking and the working of how you see things. You begin to understand the Word of God. It reminds you, He reminds you of the things that, that, that Jesus said in the Word and He even tells you of things to come. Just like I had said from John, uh, the book of John. Let's look and see what else Paul says. He doesn't want us to be ignorant. He doesn't want us to be led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who's speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say... Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. 
Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And He gives them to each one, just as He determines. God doesn't want us to be ignorant of these things. He doesn't want us to operate without these things. These things are normal for a believer's life. They're not abnormal. What's happened is is people have sensationalized things. Let me just, for the sake of, there's not enough time today to go through. And we're going to, hopefully this year, do a whole series about the operation of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to be doing some on spiritual warfare just so to kind of help us understand this stuff. But, you know, the times where I felt the Lord lead me to speak to somebody, it's not like I'm in a conversation. We'll just say, Pastor Sam, hey, Pastor Sam, hey, oh, 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 oh. God says that you need to go home right now. I mean, that's not how it happens. All right? I mean, he would impress upon my heart. He would speak to my heart, and, and I would come to him and say, hey, man, listen, I, I've been praying for you, and I just feel like the Lord wanted me to share with you, you you know if it's from the Lord or not. And I would share my heart with him, what I felt God speak, and he would say, you know what, that is what God's doing. Or he'd say, you know, I'm not really sure what that is, but I'll hold on to it maybe for the future. It's not some weird, goofy thing where you shake and spit and then something comes out. I mean, that's not... I'm serious because there are people that are afraid. That's what we do in this building. They've said it. They come around to the oh, they oh, the people are the crazy people. That, you know, they think we're snake handlers. <laughs> we only hand snakes to the people we don't like. <laughs> that's, that's what we do. If they say you have a crazy pastor, don't just don't argue that one. With them. People say that these gifts are not active today. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. You say, why do you say that? Because there is a time when prophecy and and tongues, interpretation, all that stuff's going to pass away. It will go away. You say, when does that go away? It says right here, when perfection comes. When does perfection come? As I've said before, it's not here yet. Okay? We are not perfect. We're still in flesh. Oh, you think it's bad here? I can point some of you out too. (laughs) I won't do that. We're not perfect, folks, and we're going to be perfect when we get to heaven. Now, some well-intentioned individual says, well, Pastor Bob, defending the fact that they're uncomfortable with the gifts and use of the Spirit, they go, well, Pastor Bob, perfection came when the word, the canon, was put together. Well, Okay, whatever. But the reality of it is, is things aren't perfect. I can look around and see that perfection hasn't come. Why? Because you and I are not looking at God face to face yet. Why, why will they cease then? They'll cease then because I'm not going to need somebody. I'm not going to need Pastor Sam to prophesy what God said to him about me because I could say, God, did he really say that? Did you say that to him about me? Because I'll be looking at God. I, I won't need that. I won't need somebody to speak in tongues and somebody to interpret because we're going to understand everything. We're all going to be one language. We're not going to get up there and have 14,000 different languages and, and some spiritual languages and some... No, we're going to speak together. We're not going to need an interpretation. God's not going to speak through somebody through tongues and interpretation. He's going to speak to us. Right? 
It's going to cease when perfection comes. Word of knowledge? Why am I going to need it? Word of knowledge is going to come to everybody from the throne of God. Right there, face to face. In the Old Testament it says, and all the nations will come to Him and they will be taught there. God will teach us. We ain't going to need all that stuff. So when is it going to pass away? It's going to pass away when perfection comes. So the gifts are here today. They're evident. They're active. And we need not be ignorant of them. The Scripture encourages, encourages to ask the Father for the Holy Spirit and He will give Him. I've got to move on because I'm running out of time. I've got three more people to hit. I said that intentionally just to see if you're awake or not. Any volunteer? No, I'm just kidding. Three people to hit. So we've got the person of the Holy Spirit that God gives to us in places in our lives that enables us to be ministers and empowers us to take His will, to take His gospel and to carry it like He's called us to do. He's not only asked us to join Him in His work, He's empowered us to do it. It's very simple. Then we have Carol saying on the video something about the fact that she was filled with the Holy Spirit. She had been given uh, the gifts of tongues and interpretation at a young age of 16. But when she left the church, that wasn't enough by itself. You see, this is where we, we do a great injustice to our kids in Pentecostal doctrine. Because I felt like when I got saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, that was going to be good enough. And I was done. I was like, J.D., I'm saved. It's all good. It's all great. No, it wasn't. I still had to develop and grow through seasons that God has placed in my life. So for that reason, God has put around us some very important and special people. God has placed people in our lives. And there's three more, and I'm going to do it really quick. I know people are thinking it's almost noon. Listen, if you need me to get Amber to go up to the... I'm just kidding. I won't do that. Settle down, folks. Paul. We all need a Paul in our life. And you say, what is a Paul? A Paul is uh, that apostle, that spiritual father. He called Timothy and Titus uh, his sons in the faith. The one that would invest in people. The one that would pull people aside and bring correction when correction needs to be brought. The one that would, would speak the truth in love. The one that would allow that person and that individual, give them opportunity to, to try things and to grow and to develop. Paul's, we all got to have a spiritual father in our life. We have to have that. I've had many spiritual fathers in my life. Did you know that some of the people, some of the mentors in my life haven't even been Christians? They haven't. I've had, I've had of course, in my life, Pastor Allen, who was my pastor. I've had, I've had uh, uh, Steve um, Hayden was my youth pastor. I, we've had Pastor Stevens was a real mentor, a blessing to, to April and I. We've had Pastor Ron. Uh, pastor Regan was a good friend and somebody that would challenge me like you wouldn't believe. And, then, and so on and so forth. We'd go down the whole list. Pastor Mark, who was a great friend and would speak into my life. We have those people in our lives. But I even had Larry Warwick. And those of you who know Larry Warwick, and most of you don't know Larry Warwick, but Larry Warwick was the Bobby Knight of welding. He was. And I told him, I said, you're the Bobby Knight of welding. You know that? And he was really proud of that because he liked Bobby Knight. Except he, he, he didn't care that he choked that kid. <laughs> he said he, hey, he probably deserved it. I said, well, he probably did, but you just can't do that. I mean, this is the guy I learned leadership from. This is the guy that would pull you aside and chew you out for something that's the most small, petty thing and say, when somebody does one thing wrong and you know there's about ready to break, we all go into the break room for an hour and a half safety meeting. All right, sit down. I mean, 
there are certain things that I learned from him that I didn't learn from a spiritual father, but I learned from him. I, it, was, it was tremendous. And of course, I have my own father as well, too, that taught things to me. We all must have that, and we all must be that. And that's how the Spirit of God works in us, is not only that we would, uh, he would develop us through a spiritual father, but we would become a spiritual father to someone else. Amen? Secondly, secondly, we have a... Uh, as soon as I find my notes, what happened to my notes? God wants to add people to our lives. Did you know that uh, Adam, it wasn't even good for Adam to be alone? And Adam wasn't alone. Adam had God. And God said he needed a help me. So he gave him one. So we need a, we need a Paul. And we also need a Barnabas. Acts 4.36 says this, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. The guy's name, they loved him so much, they changed his name to son of encouragement. That's not the names that people usually change your name to in America, is it? We used to give nicknames out to people at work when I worked at the shop, and they weren't usually uh, the most glorious nicknames in the world. Not that they were cursing or horrible things, but they were not usually... Endearing. Let's put it like that. Acts 9 says this. When Paul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. And even later on, Barnabas had a confrontation with Paul because Paul didn't want to take John Mark with him somewhere. And Barnabas stood up for John Mark because John Mark had, de- had de- departed from him at a time, deserted him, and he he says, no. He said, I, I think he's good. And Paul said, I ain't taking him. Go somewhere else. He said, I'll take John Mark and I'll go somewhere else. And then later on in the scripture, you see where, where Paul says, he was good for me. And John Mark was, whatever you do, bring him with you. Why? Because everybody needs somebody in their corner. Everybody needs a Barnabas. Everybody needs an encouragement. We got the Holy Spirit, yes. We got the gifts of the Spirit working in us, yes. We've got a mentor speaking into our lives, yes. But we also got to have somebody in our corner that says, you can do this. You can do it. I remember the first time Pastor Mark left. He left twice, for those of you that remember. The first time Pastor Mark left, I, I was encouraged, not because he was leaving, but because Brother Gifford called and said, well, obviously, Bob's probably ready to step up and take senior pastor. And I went, what? Obviously, that didn't happen. We had another couple of years. But that planted a seed in faith in me that, that, that my superintendent would look at me with faith enough to say, Bob can do this. Pastor Mark followed me around for two weeks saying, why don't you put, your, put in your resume? Put your resume in. Put your resume in. And, and I wouldn't put it in. I said, I'm glad everybody's hearing from the Lord for me, but I'm going to have to hear from the Lord for myself. And I waited, and I'm glad I waited. But the truth of the matter is, is that planted some seeds of encouragement inside of me that says, you know what? You can do this. We all need an encourager. We have to have encouragers. Pastor Regan and Pastor Mark, when I was leaving the shop to come into full-time ministry, how many of you know when you're quitting your job and going in to do something else that you need some encouragement? Somebody says, you can do this. You can do this. So we all have to have a Barnabas in our life. Somebody that's going to take our hand. I told our first service, uh, service Tim Henderson spoke yesterday at our prayer breakfast. Did a tremendous job. Tim, is, he, he told me when he moved here, he said, I feel called to the Lord to preach. I said, well, then we'll give you opportunity. So in July, he's preaching for me when I'm on vacation. Why? Because I believe investing in people, and I want to see people develop. But I've told Tim, you can do this. You got it. And yesterday, when I sit in there and listen to him speak, I looked at April, and I said, he's good. He's good. 
I'm fully confident. Why? Because I want to be a Barnabas to Tim and many others like him. Our young men that are Devin and, 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 and Zach and Pastor Sam and Amber. Multiple ones. Uh, encouragement. Amber, I just had an evaluation meeting with her this week. Most of it was encouragement. Why? Because they need direction. We need encouragement. And I need to move on. <laughs> Thirdly and lastly, if Amber just come up and close this bad boy out. God wants to add a Timothy to our lives. And you say, what, what's a Timothy? A Timothy is, is that, that young, inexperienced one that just, just doesn't get it. It's, it's the, one that, the one of them that's new to their faith that has got, listen, great gifts, great callings, great abilities. The one that, that, uh, that Paul laid his hands on and whatever gift he'd received, he'd received as the same gift that was in his mother and his grandmother. Timothy, who had a, had a lineage of serving God, that there was a, a, just a huge amount of uh, just potential needed a Paul to come in, needed a Barnabas, needed people to come alongside them. Listen, there are, everybody in this room needs a Timothy. You need somebody that you're pouring into. God doesn't want you to be full of him and full of all this wisdom and, and poured into by a mentor, encouraged by others for you to remain as you are for yourself. That's not the gospel. That's not what God's doing in us. He expects us to pour into other individuals. People say, well, Pastor Bob, why is it that our youth program's in such bad shape? Which ours isn't. Why is that? Because we have people that understand the importance of investing in the next generation. Why is it that we have no kids at our church? Well, one, all you do is throw a fit when they track mud into the building. And two, you're not investing in them. All you're doing is telling them to sit down, shut up, and pay attention. Invest, mentor, encourage, take alongside, hug. Did you see me come up here? This whole row packed full of kids. And they, they had to move to the second row. They couldn't even all fit up here. And I walked by and I started doing the high five all the way down the aisle. Why? Because it's important for them to know that there are people here that love them and care for them and that there's people pouring into them. Listen, there are young people probably in this section right now that if I said, raise your hand, if you need a spiritual mentor to mentor you and to care about you and to contact you and to teach you and to do things with you, to be a spiritual mother or father in your life, raise your hand if you want that. And they probably, most all of them would. Because not everybody has that. It's a precious thing. And Pastor Sam and Amber cannot do that for all of them. Why am I saying this? There's plenty of Timothys in our church. And there's plenty of Pauls in our church. And there's plenty of, of Barnabases in our church. All we have to do is get on board with the Holy Spirit and what He's doing inside of us. And realize it and connect with these individuals. And lift them up. And do what Carol didn't have when she was out in Corpus Christi. Are you starting to see how it all works together now, folks? It's not just about speaking in tongues in a service. It's not just all those things are good. It's not just about prophecy in a service. If you can't prophesy one-on-one -on -one with an individual and all you want to do is do it in a public service, you need to evaluate what your motives are. That wasn't even in my notes. Stand with me if you will.